This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. Stuff chopped and screwed it. Damn, I can't wait to use it. Telling you it's cracked, so don't lose it. Check it out, it's that cute Campbell soup kid. Campbell. I'm sorry, who's this? Are you guys selling crack? Don't be stupid, dude. It's a memory stick full of music. <gasps> I'm sorry, I'm such a doofus. I'm jumping to conclusions, I'm useless. Hey, it's cool, you're new, you'll get through this. Right now, we stick out like two toothpicks. I'm so confused as to who's and who's click. Where are the surfer dudes who are the cool kids? We don't travel in groups, but the truth is, we do have a dance crew and they're ruthless. Nautica, 
Hi there, Theatre Nerds. It's us, Mallard, Mike, and you are backstage once again. We can't start without thanking our good friends at Creative Waikato and also Free FM for their endless support, their sponsorship and encouragement of backstage and everything that we do. We are very humbly grateful. Thank you. We talk all that, Mike. If you're new here, we podcast every week to talk about theatre because we like it, because we're giant theatre nerds, and because if you're going to lock us in a room for an hour every week, we might as well be <laughs> yarning about the thing we find the most interesting. Exactly. Now, we have a thriving theatre community here in Hamilton, and indeed right across the motu. We also like to get stuck into whatever's happening out in the Great White Way too, so come back weekly for all that and more. You can catch backlog of our episodes on all of your favourite podcasting streaming apps by simply typing in Backstage with Mel and Mike and poof, there we'll be. Easy as that. Today, where would we be without the unsung heroes of production value? That's right. Costumes, clothes, wardrobe, wearable arts. We're talking about it all because we've done nowhere near enough of it. And just for good measure, we'll chuck a little costume history in there for you as well. I think it's a great call. We've been making our way through histories and interesting stories of all the things that make and has made theatre what it is today. So if you missed our episodes on Māori theatre, for example, or props, you can check out the backlog for that. But today, as Mel said, it's costumes, because you've been on, if you've been on stage at any point in your life, damn straight, you've worn one, right? And it could be yeah, fantastical, it could be realistic, it could be any one of a number of different genres, but you need a cosy if you're going to do it right. That's right, and, and a costume, regardless of how simple it is, can make or break a production, I That's think. That's true, yeah. If you're doing it simply, you've done it simply on purpose and not simply because you don't know how to do anything but simple. Or because it was cheap. Or because it was cheap, that's right, yeah. yeah. So a good costume designer is worth their weight in gold is what we're trying to say. And, and uh, you know if you've been to see a, a, a play or a musical and the costumes just somehow, they just work, they're perfect. And, uh, you know, you, you really shouldn't walk out saying, man, those costumes are great. Well, I suppose in some ways you should. But if the costumes really stand out for a bad reason, that's not good. If they stand out because they're more than what's necessary, that's not good. So a well-done mm. costume design is going to be just perfect for the occasion. That's a really nice way of putting it. And I think we'll come back to that in a little while. Okay. Uh, we've, got mus- we've got Musical of the Week around the corner. But first, it is time to get out your calendars. Take note of everything we know about that's still coming up around the place between now and the end of the year. Or thereabouts. First up, we've got the Meteor, the boil-up uh, projects that are still uh, on the cards here. Elsie by Lily Empson is on from the 22nd to the 23rd of this month. Atamura, written and performed by Henerangamaria Berryman, on from the 29th to the 30th of October, and Wish I Was There, written and performed by James Smith, uh, November the 2nd to the 5th. Drag Up Your Life, as presented by Miss California, is on October the 23rd, and all going well, we'll have Assassins, presented by Bold Theatre, December the 10th to the 18th. 
I am well and truly keeping my fingers crossed for all of the oh, above. Oh, and everything else as well. And everything else. At Riverly Theatre, Mamma Mia, directed by John Drummond for Hamilton Musical Theatre, is hopefully opening this, potentially, this weekend. Uh, but we've got no real results on that. Uh, hopefully running it through until the, October the 30th. And altogether now, directed by Tony Garson, that's going to stage November 13th and 14th. Got to just shout out to the uh, cast and crew and everybody involved with Mamma Mia. They have been, you know, knocking on the door for a long, long time now, being told, no, just wait a little bit longer, a little bit longer, maybe this week, maybe this week. It's it's Mm. awful, awful to be in that position, but hopefully it'll hit the stage this week. To Navarra Lounge we go now. Currently closed due to the ongoing effects of the COVID uh, lockdown situation, the changing alert levels and so on. But keep an eye on their Facebook page because Ivan will be posting reopening details there as soon as he's able to. In Morrinsville, their production of All Together Now is also opening in November from the 12th to the 15th. Matamata Dramatic Society, as far as I know, still uh, soldiering on with At the Sign of the Crippled Harlequin by Norman Robbins. That opens November 27th, runs to December the 4th. And the Tokoroa Little Theatre, I believe, are still in rehearsals for No Regrets, the musical, written and directed by Sonia Winnikiri. That's on stage in November as well. Tim's Music and Drama, they have their version of All Together Now opening the 12th of November, like other places do, running to the 15th, as does Tauranga Musical Theatre. Same dates, 12th to the 15th of November. Also in Tauranga at the 16th Ave Theatre, The Revlon Girl, directed by Geraldine Broderick, on now until October the 30th. And at the Detour Theatre, also in Tauranga, Sherlock Holmes and the Adventure of the Speckled Band goes to stage on the 18th of November, running until the 4th of December. Theatre Whakatane, Mystery on the Orient Express is November 17th to the 27th. Upcoming auditions and opportunities. Tauranga Musical Theatre have put a call out for people interested in taking on the role of director, musical director or, chore- or choreographer for their April season of That Bloody Woman. Check out their Facebook page or website if you want to follow up on that. New group to the community, Wing Valley Productions, are holding auditions for their debut production, The Pillow Man. That's directed by Jason Wing, and auditions will be on November 6th. At the moment, the best way to book an audition uh, or to get more information is to contact wingvalleyproductions at gmail.com. Hamilton Playbox are holding auditions for the April season of Geezers by Tommy Lee Johnston. I'll be directing that. November 21st is the date for auditions, and check out the Hamilton Playbox Facebook page if you'd like audition details and a rundown of the roles that are involved. Love to see you there. And Hamilton Musical Theatre also have auditions coming up for their May season of Blood Brothers on December the 5th and 6th. You can follow the HMT Facebook page for all of those details. As always, if there is anything you want us to spread the word about, email us on backstagepodcastnz at gmail.com or let us know when you see us at the theatre next, which is hopefully soon. Hopefully soon.
is a national pastime. TikTok, now I'm shaking that ass time. All of y'all are wishing that your lady was that fine. The little lady in the middle, yeah, that's mine. Keep it little lady, I ain't messing with her, no sir. Come on, let's get a little closer. I want the one with the huge caboose. Bridget is giggling and jiggling and turning it loose. Whoa, yo, I don't know, Twig, she's so big. Slow your roll, kid, you know she stole the whole gig. If y'all got together, she would crush you. Maybe so, but Jack, what a way to go. Citizens of Jackson, now it's time to introduce a very special guest, making his first and maybe last appearance with our crew. Give it up for Jackson High School's very own Lucky McClover! Welcome to Jackson. Move. Welcome to Jackson. No, she didn't. Move! She could get it. Come on, move! Everybody, you better get loud. Smile. 
Friday Night Jackson from Musical of the Week, Bring It On. And once again, Mel has brought me another show that I know very little, in fact, know nothing about this one. Haven't heard of the musical. Not even sure I know the original movie. I suspect somewhere in the deep, dark realm of my past, uh, I may have seen it, but it's disappeared without a trace. So I'm all ears and I'd know nothing. So feed me, baby. I honestly think, Mike, that you uh, were probably too busy in drama school or getting married around the time this, this came out. <laughs> yeah, um, so probably. you were you were far too uninterested in the teen movies, the likes of Bring It On. Um, so Bring It On, the original movie featured Kirsten Dunst. It was the first of its kind in terms of the cheerleading movies. It was sort of the pioneer of all the cheerleading movies that came out sort of up from the year 2000 onwards. It was followed by several sequels that I'm not remotely familiar with, which is, I think, where the musical comes in. It's sort of a semi-based on that original movie with a mixture of some of what goes on in some of those sequels. Um, So down millennials, you won't recognise too many of your faves in this bad boy. (laughs) We will recognise Lin-Manuel Miranda, though, won't we? Yes, you absolutely will, uh, which is obviously where my interest in the show came to fruition. So for those of you who don't know, and I doubt that there are terribly many of them, Lin-Manuel is, of course, the well-known and beloved writer of the In the Heights show and also for Hamilton, the blockbuster, who also had a hand in the music and lyrics of Bring It On. Uh, He's done so many other projects as well, but these are the ones that he hangs his hat on, right? Yeah, at the moment. I know he's been working on uh, the movie adaptation of uh, Tick, Tick, Boom, which was originally written by Jonathan Larson, who wrote Rent. Um, But Bring It On, let me give you the Bring It On history. Bring It On premiered in Atlanta, Georgia uh, on January 15th, which is my birthday, actually, 2011 and ran until February that same year. The production was directed and choreographed by Andy Blankenbuehler and featured a cast of real cheerleaders selected from around the region. Between the Atlanta run and the touring production, the screenwriter of the original movie, Jessica Bendinger, sued the people making the musical, arguing that she had rights in the licensing of the theatre production. She said she would allow the Bring It On musical to proceed if she was properly credited and compensated, naturally. Uh, In November of 2011, an out-of-court settlement was made, so there are no uh, details on that settlement. After all of that kerfuffle, a national tour started in Los Angeles in in November of 2011, pretty much immediately after the settlement. Um, This is where we find Taylor Lauderman, who made her debut as Campbell, who's one of the lead characters in Bring It On. She goes on to perform in the original Broadway cast recording that we're listening to today. After travelling to Chicago, San Francisco, Denver, Houston and Toronto, that first tour closed in June of 2012. The touring stage production then premiered on Broadway at the St. James Theatre in July of 2012 for a limited engagement through to October. From there, the production extended its run on Broadway until December of 2012. So it closed after 21 previews and 173 performances. So not a lot in the grand scheme of what we talk about um, with these shows. There was a 2014 non-equity international tour that performed the show in New Haven, Georgia, and travelled all around the world and ended in Tokyo, Japan in July of that same year. Um, Things were then pretty quiet on the Bring It On front for a while until the professional UK production opened in August of 2018. That was produced by the British Youth Theatre Company. Then, in 2020, a UK tour of Bring It On the Musical was announced, but of course was postponed thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic. 
And now to get to the goods. So as I've mentioned, Bring It On, the musical, is very loosely based on the series of Bring It On movies that debuted in 2000. On her last day of junior year at high school in America, Campbell Davis prays to be named the captain of the Truman High School cheerleading squad. She gets the job and her first duty is to replace the graduating members with her friends. Nerdy plus size outcast Bridget doesn't quite make the cut, but Campbell takes a risk on a sophomore, Eve. At summer chair camp, Eva's nervousness threatens the squad's chance to win the coveted spirit stick. Uh, it's an honour that indicates an upcoming Nationals win. To boost Eva's confidence, Campbell takes her aside and names her the sophomore spirit leader, which means if Campbell were to lose her position as the captain, Eva would be third in the line of succession after the two ICs, Skylar and Kyler. Skylar and Kyler! <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Two weeks before the end of summer, Campbell receives a letter with terrible news. She has been redistributed to inner city Jackson High School, mostly due to zoning issues, I think, is the alleged reason. Right. Uh, Campbell arrives at Jackson High School and discovers that Bridget has also been redistributed. Bridget is an unexpected hit at Jackson, particularly with a guy called Twig, who loves her curves. Campbell offers her talents to the dance crew at Jackson, but a verbal slip-up turns the Jackson girls against her. Danielle, the captain of the dance crew, firmly explains that they are dancers and not cheerleaders, and they let Bridget into the crew because she's cool and Campbell's not. Later, Bridget consoles a discouraged Campbell and takes her to where Danielle works so she can make amends. Impressed and amused by Campbell's fire, Danielle offers Campbell a one-time chance to dance with the crew dressed in an old leprechaun mascot suit. After an obviously shaky start, Campbell kills it as the leprechaun and catches the eye of the hot guy Randall, the smooth school DJ, and the captain of the dance crew, Danielle, is super impressed and gives Campbell an official spot on the crew. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Next in line of exciting events, Skylar's grades mean that she can't be the captain of the cheerleading team at Campbell's old school. Her mate, Kyla, has contracted glandular fever, meaning none of them can be captain, which by the rules of succession make Eva captain, the sophomore. Campbell grows suspicious and a visit to Eva's house confirms that Eva has taken on Campbell's appearance, her captaincy, and her boyfriend, Stephen, who's studying at her house. After a dramatic breakup, Campbell decides to get back at Eva by assembling a squad at Jackson who don't have a cheerleading squad and crushing them all at nationals. That's the end of Act 1, essentially. In Act 2's opening, Campbell convinces Danielle and the dance crew to join her and assemble a cheer squad. Weeks later at the regional competition, Truman, the old school, watches Jackson, the new school, perform. Though Jackson wins enough points for a national slot, they take second place to Truman High School. Back at school, Twig asks Bridget on a date and Bridget shyly declines. This calls, obviously, for an intervention from the dance crew girls who argue that it's no big deal when it comes to her insecurities. She has her self-esteem boosted and chases after Twig shortly after a romance is ignited. Moving through the second act, Eva privately celebrates being made captain and the diabolical means she used to make it happen. This is where she reveals to the audience that she orchestrated the entire change of the cheerleading leadership. Blackmailing, uh, yeah, blackmails a teacher into transferring Campbell to another school, hacks into the school system to give Skylar a failing grade and intentionally infects Kyla with glandular fever. So we don't like Eva at this point. (laughs) 
Back at Jackson, Campbell explains to Danielle that the experience of the Jackson cheerleading team falling apart had changed her to the point where she no longer feels any ambition to go to nationals. Their friendship should always have been the most important thing. Danielle confesses that she misses Campbell and the friendship, and they decide that they should continue working together, meaning that nationals is back on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a little cheer che- for me. <laughs> At the cheerleading national tournament, Truman High performs their routine exceptionally, afterward discovering that Jackson High and Captain Campbell are also on deck to perform. Jackson also offers an exuberant, mind-blowing routine that breaks many of the fundamental rules of cheerleading and obviously inspires wild applause from the arena. The dream of victory, though, is quickly dashed when Truman win the nationals and Jackson doesn't even get a place setting. Despite the defeat, Eva's villainous ways are uncovered. She's ousted from the team. And so with Eva gone, both the Truman and the Jackson squads celebrate their true victory, friendship. Oh, gosh. What a great ending. (laughs) What a great ending. Almost a Disney Um, thing, isn't it? It's totally a Disney thing. It's one of those cheesy um, teen movies that got turned into a musical. Bring It On received mostly positive reviews, uh, with the dance numbers especially being praised. The Huffington Post positively reviewed the show writing that had been a long time since he'd enjoyed a new musical quite as much as Bring It On. The review praised the musical set and sassy libretto. Entertainment Weekly gave a more mixed review of the musical, stating that while the performances are energetic, none are particularly memorable. The reviewer did, however, note that the acrobatic cast impressively managed to tumble, dance and sing at the same time. Uh, In his review of the Broadway production, Charles Isherwood of the New York Times wrote that the cast of this alternately snarky and sentimental show about rival high school cheer squads often seems to be in constant motion, tumbling and flipping across the stage in elaborate routines that culminate in towering formations of human pyramids. While it has its moments of memorable wit and some appealing rhythmic Broadway pop songs, Bring It On is by no means in the same league as musicals like Next to Normal and In the Heights and has the feel of a daffy lark embarked upon as a summer vacation goof. Yeah, it was quite a mouthful. In brief, it sounds like one of those uh, teen B-grade summer movies um, celebrating, uh, as you said, friendship and, um, you know, friends' values above anything else. Uh, yeah, you know, combined with some really flashy, top-notch cheerleading moves. Just imagine if you that, got those wrong on the night. <laughs> and that's what I think it comes down to: is is Bring It On's big selling point is the nostalgia and the cheerleading. You don't do Bring It On unless you can nail that cheerleading. So it probably explains why we don't see terribly many productions of it in our neighborhood. I think they. W- <laughs> I think Dio or someone somewhere did a production of it recently. But I'm I, as a director myself, I quite like the show and quite like the songs, but I can't even... I mean, we struggle to find dancers at the best of times, let alone ones that can jump, throw, be thrown. Yeah, all of it's, that stuff. It's too much. That, that's it's a really uh, specific skill set that not all dancers are capable of doing. It's a gymnastics role. That's right. It's not just dancing. It's so much more than dance. Yeah. It's, it's, all, it's acrobatics and gymnastics. It's all Quintessentially it. American, too. I mean, cheerleading, high schools, teenage girls getting at each other, all of that stuff is, is great U.S. high school sort of fodder, isn't it? That's, a, that's a, the basis of a lot of stories. That's right. You don't really hear of it happening much here. So I can't, it also doesn't, I don't think, resounds as much here as it might overseas. 
we don't really do the cheerleading sports no, team thing well, here. It is, it is a bit of a thing, but it's not, not in the same league as it is in the States, that's for sure. But you said it's fun. Yeah, it's super fun. And it's familiar, and it won't leave you feeling like you've wasted your money if you go see it. And oh, Fair enough. So in case you do see a production of it going somewhere, folks, you heard it here, go and see it. Bring it on, the musical, available wherever you listen to your original cast recordings. Uh, the one we've been playing today sounds particularly good. Don't go anywhere because we're talking about the wonderful world of costumes right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, next on the mat here at Varsity Nationals, you've been waiting all day to see them. Your fists up in the air. We came out blazing. Hey. We came out on fire. Oh. Now we're burning even hotter. Now we're flying even higher. We love it like we do. So you might as well retire. No applause is necessary. This routine is Backstage with Mel and Mike, and thank you again to our friends at Free FM and Creative Waikato for making Backstage possible. That was legendary from Musical of the Week. Bring it on. All right, from the Musical of the Week, and now it's time to talk about costumes this week because we had a moment of self realization and we realized that something we don't do a whole lot of is talking about this side of the business. And I'm talking here on backstage, but just in general, I think if you've ever been in a show and you've worn a costume and interacted with the person in charge of making the costumes happen, then you know, you should appreciate what they're all about. If you've seen a production, you know the difference between costumes done well and costumes done badly. You mentioned that before. So you know when you see them and they don't work. That's right. And if they're done well, like we sort of touched on already, you barely notice them. And if they're done badly or as an afterthought from the wardrobes of the actors, you see it from a mile away. Indeed. 
Western theatre tradition has its foundations in Greek celebrations performed in the 6th century BCE honouring Dionysus, the god of wine and revelry. And the revels evolved into spoken drama in 535 BCE when the playwright Thespis introduced an actor to respond to the chorus leader. And the result out of all of that was dialogue. And from that, we get what we have today. That's right. Another playwright, Aeschylus, is credited with establishing what became the traditional costume for Greek tragedy. It consisted of a long-sleeved, patterned tunic, a stylized mask for instant character recognition, and a pair of high-soled shoes called corthune. All of these garments were exclusively for theatrical use. One cannot act the hero in everyday wear. Of course not. (laughs) Actors actors in Greek comedies also wore masks to indicate which characters they portrayed. Additionally, they would add exaggerated body parts, you know, padded backsides or stomachs or oversized phalluses to heighten the comic effect of their roles. Although the Romans added their own particular twists to all this, the costume conventions established by the Greeks essentially remained the same right through until the fall of the Roman Empire, when Western theatre virtually disappeared for, I don't know, about 800 or so years. But you can't kill a good <laughs> not, thing. It's not long. Uh, <laughs> when when theatre eventually did re-emerge in the Middle Ages, Mystery plays, dramatising events in the scriptures and miracle plays, which depicted the lives of the saints, were increasingly performed inside the church and on church grounds. As they became more elaborate, they moved out into the market square. And it was during the Renaissance that production elements uh, like scenery and costumes came to be even more important than the text. Throughout Europe, the nobility staged very lavish court masks and pageants to entertain their guests. Costumes depicted gods animals, mythological creatures, as well as uh, such emotions as hope and joy. Uh, Designers for these festivities included the likes of Leonardo da Vinci, no less, and Inigo Jones. Like the Greek comedies, Commedia della actors portrayed stock characters identified by their masks, which we've talked quite a lot about um, prior to now, uh, and by their traditional costumes. Pantaloon, the archetypal doddering old man, was often dressed in the wide trousers that now bear his name. The wily servant Brigella had a coat of horizontal green stripes, the forerunner of 19th century British uniform. Other comic characters include Arlecchino or Harlequin, Il Dottore, a pedantic academic always dressed in black, and Il Capitano, a, a cowardly Spaniard. The serious characters in Commedia, two pair of lovers and a servant girl, wore contemporary clothing. Then, moving into the era of costumes for Shakespeare's plays, they were a mixture of various periods that audiences accepted as the standard convention. So you say what you like about Shakespeare, he shifted the goalposts in so many ways with language, with structure, and and also this little bit in terms of um, the visual appeal of uh, the plays Mm. that he wrote. Most parts were performed in contemporary dress, either owned by the actor or provided by the theatre's patron. On occasion, a helmet or breastplate might indicate a soldier. Fairies and nymphs might wear casual draperies and so on. Just a hint of what the character was all about. I think in that lies really the importance of costumes is that it has to suit whatever the expectations are that you've set up. You know, co- the audience will buy whatever you've put in front of them as long as you're consistent with it. Right. 
So the same principle applies to costume in the 17th and 18th centuries. Most actors, and especially actresses, dressed as fashionably as possible. A turban indicated an Eastern character, a plumed helmet signified a soldier. Performers provided their own wardrobe, with the exception of specialty items, which were often provided by the theatre. And then the period between the 1770s and the 1870s saw a drive towards historical accuracy in costume design. I guess theatre was always in the business of trying to find the next new thing or trying Mm. to wow their audience with a little bit of something different, and this is the next direction it took. As travel became relatively easier, reports both written and visual increased people's knowledge of other cultures. So international exhibitions such as the Crystal Palace exhibition in London in 1851 brought the material culture of exotic places right to the public's attention. They wanted what they saw Mm -hmm. and they read about and they wanted to see that reflected on the stage. Yeah, it's an interesting point, eh? In current practice, theatrical costumes are designed to support the script. If realism or historicism is central to the text, the costumes will accurately reflect the clothing appropriate to the period or to the environment. Um, pretty much what I've already said. Examples include Heinrich Ibsen's The Master Builder, which requires clothing of the early 1890s, or David Storey's The Changing Room, which calls for uniforms and streetwear appropriate for a group of rugby players in the north of England. And as we know, other scripts require a bit more of an imaginary approach. Shakespeare's The Tempest must be set on an island, but that island could be anywhere. Prospera, Miranda can inhabit any time period agreed upon by the director and the design team. Just go for it. Yeah, and above everything, a theatrical costume should be designed for function. Armholes are usually cut higher than they are in mass-produced clothing to permit the actor to, you know, raise their arms without the whole garment following. Uh, Crotches are cut higher to allow for kicks without splitting a seam. And that's true, actually. Costumes have to be constructed to be strong enough to withstand eight wearings a week for months or possibly even years when it comes to things like Broadway with infrequent cleaning or laundering. And if the script calls for a quick change, that means that the performer makes a complete change of clothing in, let's say, under a minute, often under half a minute. The costume has to be constructed to facilitate that change. So to change a shirt quickly, for example, the buttons are sewn right on top of the buttonholes and the shirt is held by uh, snaps or hooks or loop tape like Velcro so that it can be literally ripped off the performer in no time flat. Yeah. Likewise, dancers' shoes must have soles thin enough to allow the dancer to flex and point her foot, but also serve the design of the show as well as suit the character as well as operate for everything you need it to operate for. Um, There's not any one element that's more important than any other element, and a good costume designer has to be able to accommodate and balance all of them. Good point. Intelligent costumes can transform a play, and for all that no one gives them enough credit, actually designers wield a frightening amount of power. Clothes affect not only how the actors look, but how they breathe, how they move, how they can interpret their character. They have a massive impact. They do, and I don't think there's an actor alive, uh, a professional or otherwise, that will tell you the clothes don't make a difference to their performance. Having a show with amazing costumes doesn't have to be about big budgets either. There's a company in the UK, Punch Drunk, that dresses their lavish sets, and they are lavish if you Google them, uh, lavish sets and lavish costume designs with stuff literally from junk shops. 
I suppose we can finish off the segment with a plea on behalf of all of our costume or wardrobe design friends. They are absolutely the unsung heroes of the theatre community here in Hamilton. Concentrate on the set by all means. The walls and the doors do actually matter, yes indeed. But take a look and don't forget the fabric and the, and the style and the look of the entire cast and the, how the story evolves. Some of us are watching that and we do appreciate it even if we don't necessarily take the time or get the opportunity to thank the designer directly and if you're going to see a show you know take it all in and appreciate the work and the effort and the thought that's gone into it that's right well and i think some of the costume designers that i've worked with and that i know don't get told enough that um for me personally if i'm being honest a production's attention to costume and set detail can be the maker or breaker of whether i recommend a show to a friend Mm -hmm. so the work that these ladies uh and most of them are ladies do on costumes is just amazing. They do huge work. And I'm not interested in just the words or the choreography or the story. You know, I'm interested in the effort put into every aspect of your production. Well, uh, let's be blunt about this. Where would shows like Kinky Boots be or Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, without the skill of an expert costume designer? Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, if it's enough for Harry Potter and the Cursed Child to design and create a set of clothes for an imaginary world and an imaginary people who don't exist it's enough for us to put real thought and effort into the outfits we put on stage in our own productions yeah it's about production value a little bit yeah it's exactly what it's about um costumes are just so much more than to keep than something to keep your actors from going on stage naked <laughs> although having done that as well you know yeah. anyway on that <laughs> note it's time again for us to leave you for another week yeah. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you, Free FM, for hosting us. Thanks to Creative White Cutter for sponsoring us, and thank you indeed for tuning in. We do appreciate it. We do, don't we? Don't forget to catch Backstage wherever you get your podcasts. Backstage is available on accessmedia.nz, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, a whole bunch of other places. And head over to Instagram and find Backstage Podcast NZ, where I will be sharing today's episode plus musical of the week on our story. I have once again been Mike. He's been, no, I haven't been Mike. You keep He's saying this, but it's not true. <laughs> I just want to be Mike. Uh, he's been Mike. Everybody I've been does. Mal. <laughs> he's been Mike. I've been Mal. You've been backstage. Stay classy, theatre nerds. Well, today we're going to bow out gracefully with our finale of the musical of the week, Bring It On. It's a track called I Got You, as performed by the original touring and Broadway cast. So stay safe out there in the meantime. Please get yourself tested if you've got COVID symptoms. Sometimes, even if you haven't, but you think you might have been somewhere where it's a place of interest, take that step. Please do it. Join us in encouraging your friends and find out to get vaccinated as well. And, of course, keep signing in with the COVID QR codes, and we will see you. Hey girl, we killed it and we know it Don't need that goal to show it when we know it inside Hey girl, we got the people screaming Just like we were dreaming, I know I'm satisfied Hey girl, look how far we've come now Before you couldn't stand me, now you think I'm alright right. Hey girl, I thought you were a spoiled rich A tight little white bitch, now I think you're just white And in 20 years, it's not a big trophy that I'll miss But I'll always smile when I remember this I got you, I got you To hang out with in the day Got no cash, got no wheels But I know how feeling lucky feels Got your hand in my hand Got your back, I know you got mine too I got you, I got you Like Pokemon and Pokemon 
court like Venus and Serena.
Love you more. Oh, yay. Cheerleader tryouts are tonight. Pick me. No, pick me. Even mocking cheerleaders cannot hide the emptiness in my soul. Hey, you never met me face to face. If you think cheerleaders are a waste of space, we work and we fight and we train and hustle. We get many petties, but we're made of muscle. We got one shot that we work all year for. We got more balls than the team we cheer for. Nationals is getting closer by the minute. Last year we took bronze this year. We're gonna win it. Bring it. Counting down the day. Episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.